We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic. Once a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman, she drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. I feel retrogasmic. 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 Welcome again to the Retrogasmic Podcast. I'm your host, DD Deluxe, and today we are looking at the phenomenon, the uh, cultural icon that is the American diner. The classic American diner has been around for uh, almost 150 years, and it's a home away from home for many Americans. They're often open 24 hours a day. They're often situated on long, lonely stretches of road and they're the only kind of solace and um, homeliness on an otherwise long and lonely trip. It's a staple of American culture. Uh, Norman Rockwell, Edward Hopper, both painted kind of legendary, iconic artworks featuring the American diner. And they've always been the place where the average Joe could go and get a lot of food for not much money and hopefully a kind of a, a smile from a friendly waitress. The first diner was put together by a wonderfully named Water Scott, W-A-T-E-R, um, who was a bit of an entrepreneur, lived in Rhode Island, and he kind of repurposed an old horse-pulled wagon. Now, this was 1872, and he kind of turned it into a, a car that served sandwiches, coffees, pies and basically cooked eggs, mainly late at night. Um, he was a printer, and he quit his job as a printer to sell food from the wagon, and uh, it became so popular, there were other companies soon um, producing lunch, lunch wagons or, or late-night diner wagons, if you like. Now, a couple of people soon found that uh, designing and manufacturing the lunch cars was actually more profitable than running one. And a guy called T.H. Buckley in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts is kind of known as the inventor of the modern diner, if you like. Um, these had large wheels, overhanging kind of areas where you could stay dry as you're ordering your food if you're outside. Murals, lettering, frosted glass, and most importantly, a fridge and icebox. And this kind of was the, the first emergence of the diner as we know it today. Around the turn of the 20th century, around 1900, there were three companies manufacturing these, these new modern lunch cars, the Worcester lunch car, the t and the O'Mahony lunch car. The later diners, pre-First World War, had smaller wheels, much larger counters, and they started tiling them. And obviously, uh, the more stuff that went inside, the less likely it was that it would be easier to actually move these things around. So they became permanent establishments. After World War I broke out, the diners started catering more to appeal to women, adding flower boxes and wallpaper and curtains and advertising their food as home-cooked meals. 
Done is in the 1930s, obviously influenced by the Art Deco movement. Had uh, a streamlined design, bullet-shaped exteriors, lots of chrome on the inside, beautiful kind of graphic layouts. The streamlined modern design of the diner first appeared in the 1930s in an effort to change their image from kind of a, a late night working man's hangout. The futuristic designs reflected the modern era as it was seen then and during the depression many diners stayed in business due to their low cost menus which basically kept a lot of people alive. The demand for diners increased after World War II when many servicemen and women returned home and there was over a dozen diner manufacturers. Joe's Cafe from 1955. So, post-World War II, in America, the diners kind of kicked up a gear and they became what we all know and love and we see in every single rock and roll movie and every city in the world has got an American diner and they're always either good or excellent. You very rarely come across one that's, uh, that's not just a great place to go. The Formica tops were, were a big thing, easy to look after, clean neat and tidy lots of chrome terrazzo floors 
porcelain tiles everywhere, often big leather booths with the, the chrome trims. Often you'd see the red, the red and the, the chrome as a, a counterpoint. Pretty much that's the look they stayed with. There was a big kind of revival in the 1970s, but they were all built to look like the ones made in the, in the late 40s and the 1950s and early 60s. In America now, they're given so much cultural um, value that there's actually, I think, about two or three dozen diners listed on their National Register of Historic Places. So they're actually listed buildings. The, the, the great thing about an American diner, as far as I'm concerned, is that you can you can walk into one and you're not just going to get a pile of kind of probably quite greasy food and all the calories and, and carbohydrate you need for a week for a, a, a pretty good value. But you get to kind of sit in something that reminds you of when there was hope. You know, the American diner has that thing where the, the, you know, a major war just happened and they'd come out the other side. You know, we're in the atomic age where everyone was hoping that technology and space travel was going to lead us out into the universe. And there's just something, there's something wonderful about it. You can see why Quentin Tarantino and, and many other directors have used a diner scene as a kind of a, a key point or a trigger point in a movie. I was always uh, kind of one who liked to consider myself kind of a, a pioneer of the palate, a restaurateur, if you will. Uh, I've wine, dined, sipped, and supped in some of the most demonstrably beamer, epitomable bistros in the Los Angeles metropolitan region. Uh, yeah, I've had strange looking patty melted norms. I've had dangerous field cutlets with the copper penny. Well, what you get is a, a breaded Salisbury steak and a shaken bake and topped with a provocative sauce of Velveeta and uh, half and half. Smothered with Campbell's tomato soup. <laughs> you see, I had kind of a. Uh, well, I ordered my veal cutlet, Christ, it left the plate and it walked down the end of the counter. Waitress, waitress, ain't my read, boy, she wearing those rhinestone glasses with a little pearl thing clip on a sweater. Veal Cutler come down and try to beat the shit out of my cup of coffee, but <laughs> coffee just wasn't strong enough to defend itself. <laughs> Nighthawks at the diner, Hammers 49er, there's a rendezvous of strangers around a coffee in the night. All the gypsy hacks and the insomniacs, now the paper's been read. Now the waitress said, eggs and sausages and a side of toast. A coffee and a roll, hash browns are what easy. Chili in a bowl with butter. 
kind of pie It's a graveyard charade It's a late shit masquerade And it's two for a quarter Dime for a dance Woolworth rhinestone Diamond earrings And a sideways glance Now the register rings Entry sings eggs and sausage, side of toast, copper and a roll, hash browns over easy, chili in a bowl, burgers and fries. What kind of pie? Nicotine cloud as the touch of your fingers lingers burning in my memory. I pen 86 from your ski. Now I'm in a melodramatic nocturnal scene. Now I'm a refugee from a disconcerted affair. Not a lead pipe morning for. Waitress called eggs and sausage. Now side of toast, coffee and roll, hash browns over easy, chili in a bowl with burgers and fries. Now what kind of pie? Alamo. If you will Just come in I join a crowd Had some time to kill See I just come in to join the crowd Had some time to kill Just come in I join a crowd Cause I had some time To kill of course Tom Waits with Eggs and Sausage from the legendary Nighthawks at the Diner album from 1975. So I'm here at Diner 66 in Christchurch with Shelley, one of the owners. Um, this is an incredible place, it's absolutely wonderful. We've, <laughs> we've just... Uh, bashed out a couple of hours of live music in the corner and it was it was wonderful fun um how did you end up 
owning this amazing place? Well, it's, a, it's been a bit of a passion of ours for a long time. We've been into classic cars and then we started going to the States, uh, much to my husband's disgust initially. Disgust initially. <laughs> However, he, um, after taking him there, he fell in love with the place, so we decided to do a Route 66 tour. And during that time, we went to hundreds of diners, literally, yeah. and just loved it. Every time we went, there was something different about every one. But we had our favourite ones. They were very 50s styled and it matched very much with the cars we were into and the and the style, just our lifestyle. Um, and then we met Kay from Cabela Baby as well. So I started getting into pin-up dress. So all those things kind of all accumulated in one time. Um, and when we'd been to the States a few times uh, and been to all these diners, especially the 50s styles one that we just felt like you're at happy days you know in the in the yeah. tv program of happy days yeah. or an american graffiti or something like that and we just loved the vibe the people who served you was it was simple quick sassy yeah. it was fun it was just we really enjoyed it so we came back and and we didn't have anywhere to go for breakfast anymore <laughs> so we got back well what do we do there's no diners here well why don't we just start one so we got got to designing and and here we are so a year later, two years later. That, that, that from a from a, a bright idea, that that's an amazing step. I mean, uh, you're you're on right on the corner of kind of two main streets here. So you've just trying to paint a picture. You've got like a triangular bar with huge glass sliding doors. It, it's I mean you're very visible from the, from the street, and it's an absolutely fantastic spot. And you've got a big curved. 1950s style bar that you can sit at with bar stores yeah, there's beautiful. beautiful upholstered booths um, there's there's pictures and, and paintings all over the wall there's classic car models I mean the detail is astonishing yeah. be honest how long did this take to put together oh it, it was a lot longer than we planned <laughs> so the design took a long time it was done in America and, um, and then we had to have it shipped over here and we were on a tight time frame and we kind of extended it a few months by the end of it a lot of hours of work all over the Christmas not the Christmas just gone the one before working in here my husband built it himself because he is a builder so he put everything together with the help of our friends and tradies that we know but it, it's, a, it's a long time and we keep adding you know, we've added the little models but we, we wanted everything to be really authentic so we they sent the art as well They the guys who designed it they picked all the art and we had to decide where we put it in the place but um, it it's, the whole thing's just been done right from the beginning, you know, through your authentic. So, so obviously we uh, we go to a lot of American diners, as you can yeah. imagine. We've played in pretty much every American diner in New Zealand. Um, the food is always grating them. Now, having been to quite a few diners in the States, that's not always mm, true. Correct. Sometimes it can be a, a little bit average. Uh, how did you put the um, how did you put the menu together? Because you've got a fantastic yeah. selection. So we took um, all the menus that we went and ate. We took photos of them all, and then we picked all our favourite dishes that we really liked ah. off the menus over there. And then we got the chef in to help us design what was going to be right or, or wrong. And I I was very stern on it being a very big menu because diner menus over there are huge and they are all day you have breakfast all day so I've always been very staunch on that um, we started pulling it together and costed it and sort of just developed it um, over a few months with things that we knew we'd had in the states really um, yeah it wasn't without its challenges to be fair because <laughs> chefs have their ideas so the chef first initially came up with all these lovely burgers like a 
chicken burger with Japanese slaw. I'm like, no, 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 this no. is an American diner. It's got to have biscuits and gravy and, and just normal burgers that are yeah. truly American, what you do find in there. So it, it was, it was, we got there in the end. Well, I mean, it's an incredible place. It's, it's, it's fantastic. So from what, I'm, <laughs> from what I'm seeing, you've kind of, you're spending a lot of time here and it, you obviously love doing it. Um, where, what, what's next? Where, where, where's the ambition? Well, um, the ambition was never for me to be spending lots of hours in the diner uh, as such, but to continue growing it into many other options, many other other facets of the 50s, not just the diner, but things that complement it. Um, merchandise store and, and having a bit of merchandise in here, so mixing everything up, having cars for sale as well, So, but more branches of the diner, just lots of 50s stuff. All different types of diners in so different al- places. Almost like a lifestyle thing. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Yeah, very Fantastic. much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Really look forward to seeing what yeah. you guys get up to in the in the next couple of years. Yeah, right. if we survive it. <laughs> thank you, Shirley. You're welcome.
That was The Doors with Soul Kitchen. Now, let's do our vintage trivia. Probably should have done it earlier on in the show, but never mind. What is the biggest burger that is commercially available on a diner menu in the world? What is the biggest burger you can buy in a diner? I'll give you the answer after this next song. This is uh, A Banded Luncheonette by Hall & Oates from 1973. Sat in an abandoned luncheonette Sipping imaginary cola And drawing faces in the tabletop dust His voice was rusty From years as a sergeant in this man's army He was old and crusty She was 20 when the diner was a baby He was a dishwasher Busy in the back His hands covered with gravy Hair black and wavy Brilliantine slick Was young and randy, yeah. Day to day, today to day, they never hold their lives wasted away.
the answer to our, our trivia question today. What's the largest commercially available burger? So this isn't a, uh, you know, something that was done for a charity or just to beat the record, although I guess uh, that was the initial idea. This is actually on the restaurant menu. Now, you have to order this three days in advance. It costs, and wait for this, 8,000 US dollars. And it weighs 1,794 pounds. It's a cheeseburger. It's for sale at Mally's Sports Bar and Grill in Detroit. Uh, it took them about three and a half years to work out how they were going to make it. A bakery donated by the Michigan Bread Company weighs 250 pounds. And it was baked specially for it. The entire thing is three feet tall and five feet wide. And they are very proud to say that it is every bit edible. It's got onions and cheese and a huge burger. And uh, it, it didn't go to waste. They uh, chopped it up and, and gave it to all their customers. And uh, the stuff that was left was made into taco meat and was donated to local, local shelters. They originally built a burger that was about 300 pounds and held the world record. And then a Japanese grill beat them the following year. So they, they took some time and planned it. And this thing is enormous. Google it. It's, it's an astonishing thing. It really is a, a creation of beauty. Ah, retrogasmic. That sadly brings us to the end of another show. I really enjoyed today's. I love American diners. Um... If you're in New Zealand and you're doing a bit of a tiki tour, definitely check out Diner 66 in Christchurch. It is, uh, it's a wonderful place and lovely people. And the other one you've absolutely got to visit is the Jukebox Diner in Hamilton. So one on the North Island, one on the South Island. And the thing that kind of makes the Jukebox Diner a bit special is that it is attached to probably one of the best classic car museums you'll ever go to. And you can kind of... Uh, Go in there and have your burger and soak it up and then walk through. And there's there's just, I think there's like a hundred cars in there. It's just stunning. It's a beautiful place. Even the front door is a giant jukebox. So you're kind of walking in through a jukebox into the diner. It's wonderful. Lovely people. Great grub. I highly recommend it. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, give it a share, tell your friends, all that kind of stuff. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, drop us a message. It'd be lovely to have you on board, especially if you're doing something cool and retro and vintagey. And uh, we were going to play this next song uh, during the show, but it's 18 minutes long. <laughs> so uh, we're just going to finish on good old Arlo Guthrie and Alice's restaurant. Sing it when you're done. Here it comes. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in, it's around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track. And you can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. That was horrible. <laughs> if you want to end war and stuff, you gotta sing loud. You could put a lot. I've been singing the song now for 25 minutes. 
I could sing it for another 25 minutes. I'm not proud. <laughs> or tired. So we'll wait till it comes around again. And this time with four-part harmony in the feeling. We're just waiting for it to come around is what we're doing. Restaurant, da 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 da